Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. bridge into the fact that what we do is customized, right? Like there is no cookie cutter. You leave training sessions with us and your dog knows X, Y, and Z, and they can like, quote unquote, do it no matter what, right? Like, I think that although we all approach like different behaviors and we have different services, I think the overarching theme is that we customize, We customize what we teach them, what we give them based on what they need, who they are in that moment, right? Because I think that over the years, I, you know, because everyone listening, you know, I work with reactivity and aggression, right? Like that's really my focus. And I've gotten called into aggression cases where there were other things at play that had to be addressed before I could even dream of doing behavior modification, right? And like, Obviously, I want to credit like the canine nutrition world. You all are beautiful. Thank you for doing that. But I think for a lot of my aggression clients, I am all that they can afford, right? Like I am coming in, all that I can give them is all that they can afford and I have to share with them, right? Like if I'm dealing with a household of three dogs that are fighting and they're all overweight and they're all eating puppy chow, I feel like it's my obligation to give a little bit more of like, we have to take weight off these dogs. Can we add in fresh food? Can we make this a little bit easier for them so that the dogs can be feeling better and have more nutrition before we have any hope of like modifying behavior, right? Does anyone want to kind of speak to that in your own personal experience? I had a really interesting, um, pretty recent, like uh, a couple months ago, sometime this year though, a really interesting, a very a very acute case of it being a dietary motivated issue. And it was a young golden retriever who I think had been, uh, had, had like really chronic uh, giardia and other things. And I think it's gut was just kind of messed up. Um, and it was getting, a, it was really prone to frustration. And it was, um, whenever it got kind of excited, it was uh, noshing on uh, this elderly lady's arm and just working his way up. And, and he, this was just how he was outletting that. And it was pretty persistent like it was it was tough and he was you know in a couple sessions I was like oh I hadn't really seen it yet but that was good and then I saw it I was like damn it that sucks like this is really frustrating and really embarrassing I'm also like twice your size and I can like handle this in a way that you wouldn't be able to I can understand how intense this is um and they uh actually eventually were working on a variety of of diets for solutions that we had uh, the same uh veterinarian who who does focus in uh diet stuff and they got the diet right and they were like they're like his tolerance for this. He plays better with dogs. He hasn't jumped up my arm in so long. And I was like, we've been practicing some training stuff, but it really was one of those situations where I felt like we were layering reinforcement for certain behaviors on top of something else that was going on. You, you know, sometimes you, you kind of arrive, you practice a few things and it's just like, it's just flowing. You're like, this is a behavior issue. This is the solution and it's working. And sometimes you're like, shit, it is a little something's kind of clunky here. Something's not really kind of picking up what else is going on. And I feel like nutrition is a really tough one for me to be like, have you tried feeding something else? You know, cause I think that's a, a pretty wide spectrum of things to start to consider. And so it's not usually my sort of first 
additional sort of uh, consideration but um it was a really interesting learning experience for me because it was by far my most like obvious like we fixed the diet there was a history that I think spoke to some dietary things not being right there was some new diet that was included and a really obvious behavior change and I was like you know what this was not a job for a trainer <laughs> this was a job for somebody who kind of get your gut right but you know they were going to sort of access whoever they could and uh, try to get some solutions so they were they were kind of going for their options but it was a um, a big learning experience for me. Yeah. Miranda, go ahead. Yeah. I think there's, there's something really important to be said for knowing what we can do and what we want to do. And those things may not always be the same thing. Um, you know, I can do basic manners training, but I'm not really great at it. I'm, you know, I, I could figure out how to run rally if I was taught how to do it, but like, that's not, that's not my thing. Um, I've been really blessed recently to work with some awesome trainers and, uh, aspiring trainers where like, there's one person I'm working with now who specifically wants to work in behavior at the vet clinic. And their whole goal is to work with dogs and cats who do poorly at the vet and help them get to the point where they can be treated. They think puppy classes are fun, but like, they don't want to be a dog trainer. They want to help dogs succeed at the vet, right? We have other people who are really good at service dog training, which requires, you know, depending on the kind of service dogs, like requires a very specific skill set and a high level of precision. Um, you know, there are all these different things. One of my friends opened a brand new facility, was super excited to run classes. She was like, this is going to be great. And then she found out she hates running classes and loves doing private sessions. Um, you know, I have another friend who raises Rottweilers and loves doing um, obedience competition and, you know, all these different things. And so they're not, you know, training other people's dogs that much, but like training their own dogs and all of these things are very valid. And so I think it's easy, especially because the the four of us tend to focus more on like the pet dog owner. And especially with clients that may be having some behavior issues that it makes it a little easy for us to sound like we're poo-pooing like basic obedience or that we're poo-pooing like teaching higher level, like more fun tricks. And I think that that's a place where it's just, it's the nature of whatever group of people you're talking to that we're going to have those different specializations. And so instead of thinking of it, like the better trainers do it this way, it's, it's figuring out who's going to fit that niche, but it's also the same on the other end where, you know, I had a super fearful dog who I worked with today, who is not going outside because he's terrified. And as a result, he's going out to potty once a day, sometimes twice. And I was like, you have to go to the vet. Like I cannot fix that. This is a quality of life issue. We have to get something on board that is going to help with this fear because I can't do it. There's no amount. If I were the world's best trainer, there's no amount of counter conditioning and desensitization I could do in a reasonable amount of time to help this dog. And we've already had multiple sessions, like stop, do not pass, go, do not collect $200, go to your vet. Right. And so I think that there are some of these places where as a trainer, sometimes we need to say like, Ooh, my obedience skills are not going to help you. Or you really need a, someone who specializes in puppy socialization. And that's not what I do. Or you need someone who's going to be able to teach your dog to adequately put themselves underneath your head when you're having a seizure. Right. And I do not do that. So I think, again, it's that place where it's not just about people being good at their jobs or like all of us learning the same things. It's just that there are different people who provide different services And the more that you know what you're looking for, the better you're going to be able to find that right person or people. Sometimes it's a team. Yeah, absolutely. Jenna, go ahead. Yeah, and I was going to say, um, kind of tying in that along with uh, what you mentioned, Rachel and Don, of like this nutrition aspect, 
um, you know, at least here in Nashville, like we don't have like a, hi, your dog is going through some GI upset, you know, here's the nutritionist in town. Like there is nobody to fit that role. And so I feel like at least with us here, we, we skate that line a little bit more than maybe other people in other places do. And I'm never one to say, hi, you need to be doing this food or this type of feeding with your dog. Um, but it's more of like, Hey, have we done any allergy testing? Do we know of any sensitivities? And even in our intake form, you know, we're asking what kind of food, how much they're getting, how's their poop? Um, you know, cause at least where I come in outside of puppy development, um, you know, where I see Barky Lungy and I know all of us see Barky Lungy Bitey, um, that direct link between stress and your digestive system. And so if there's already upset happening, I mean, I know we've all walked around with an upset stomach or like having the poops and trying to just navigate our day-to-day life. It's pretty much impossible. Yet here we are with the inability to have that conversation with our dog as they're having like, let's say yogurt poop at best, having a hard time. And then we're demanding this high expectation, this high criteria of their performance when they're maybe feeling mediocre at best. Um, And so, yeah, figuring out all that stuff in the beginning, like, does your stomach feel good? What are you doing outside of these activities that are bringing you stress to exercise and enrich your dogs? You know, like where, where are we at the bottom of this humane hierarchy, you know, period? What do we got going on here at our, our base foundation layer? And I think it's one of those things too, right? That like, you know, for everyone listening who isn't a dog professional, who's not super dog savvy, right? Like, obviously you don't know this, but we all take very thorough behavior forms. We know all of these things. What is the dog eating? How are they sleeping? How are you exercising them? Because there is so much more to the dog than like, okay, the dog's in front of us. Let's make them do sit stays and down stays and like, cool, let's wipe our hands and we trained. There's so much more than that. And I think because of all of our years of work and because we can help our clients, it's because we look at everything that's going on. We don't just show up and like, okay, cool. So the dog is fixed. Well, no, the dog still has diarrhea or the dog is still lame or the dog is still not getting enough exercise, or the dog is still not getting enough enrichment, right? Like, I think that there's a a base of care that I have to know about first, right? Because sometimes I show up and the dog's eating great, they're sleeping good, they're getting enough exercise, cool, so let's do training. But that is not always, right? Like, sometimes we got to show up and be like, you know, I think, Obviously, all of you listening here on Instagram, you know enrichment, right? Like, you get it. You've got all the enrichment toys. You do all the fun stuff. Your dog gets to shred boxes. But the general public doesn't know that stuff, right? And it's, like, one of those that, like, if I can show up and be like, hey, listen, your adolescent Labrador, if you feed them out of a Kong wobbler instead of the bowl, that will give you 10 minutes where you don't have to worry about what the dog is doing, right? Like, it's simple, but that's so effective. And that's why I want to have this conversation, right? Because it's so much more about like, okay, you have an adolescent lab that jumps, let's teach them to do an alternate behavior. Maybe let's just fast track. (laughs) Maybe let's not even worry about teaching them anything. Maybe let's just change the sequence of events or the environment and we'll be good to go on that. Right. Okay. So I want to talk about this a little bit more. And Jen, I know you kind of touched on this a little bit too, but I think that it may surprise a lot of you that 
We don't teach a lot of obedience. I hate the word obedience. First and foremost, I never call anything that I do obedience. I always call it manners, but that's not something that like we push on people if they don't need it. Well, I'm saying we, but I'm assuming you all are with me. Yeah, you're all with me on this. Okay, so San, I want to hear from you. Can you give the listeners maybe like a specific example of a situation where like you're not at all worried about teaching basic manners? Yeah, I mean, with fear and aggression, I think that's the, the greatest part about um, working with, with dogs with challenges. We We kind of put ourselves in a position of what can we do to help this dog? And sometimes that help after framing to the client it might not be just doing what we want to want the dog to do. And so I feel like many times when I meet the dog for the first time, I really let them really give me the, the feedback on how should I take this? What kind of, what, what kind of training would, would you like to do? What are some things that you already do do well? And that could be things to help you out in those situations. And dogs don't know a lick about the obedience so they're they're just <laughs> responding out based on how they are so i find that a lot of my training um i have an approach of what the dog might want to be doing and uh using that uh, using that to help them but usually i like to try to hear what the dog has to say in, in uh before making any decisions and then taking that and and seeing what we can do to to use that as a way to help them oh my god it's, it's so well said. And I think it's one of those things too. Like I, I met with a lovely client yesterday who has a dog who loves me and a dog who is afraid of me. And the dog who is afraid of me jumped up on my lap and they're like, no, off, off. And I'm like, shush, like, do not talk to the dog like that. Like, this is brilliant. We are going to celebrate this right now. Right. Like he was curious. It was kind of playful. And he was like, okay, tree lady, what am I crawling your lap? And that's something that like, I don't think that the general public understands like rules depend on the dog and your life and what you want from a dog. There's no overarching, like dog should never jump or X, Y, or Z. Right. And I think that Early on in my career, Tiva came with me to like all my group classes and she would sit in a chair next to me while I like prepped the class and she would just stay there the whole class. And I remember a client being like, I didn't know that it was socially acceptable for dogs to sit in a chair. And I'd been so mad at my dog for doing it. And I saw your dog do it. And I thought like, damn, okay. And it changed our relationship because now I don't have to be mad at the dog for doing something that feels comfortable and natural. Right. And like, Obviously, there are exceptions and caveats in certain places, but I think that that's something that my clients are always so surprised by when I'm like, do not tell the dog not to jump on me. Like, don't do that. Right. Like there's exceptions. We make exceptions to everything because if it's harmless or it's empowering the dog and we're helping to modify behavior with some of those small gestures from the dog, we have to celebrate that, not suppress it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Don, I want to hear from you on this one. Cause I know that this is something that you're really good at is like navigating and celebrating like the individual dog and some of like their little isms that do not need to be modified or changed. Yeah. To, to, to what uh, San was saying something and an idea, a thought came to mind that I think I, I picked up from, um, you guys know Brie of Noble Wolf, Noble yeah. Wolf. Um, yeah. And uh, I remember seeing this thing, a video that she posted and they were um, just eating sort of polite greetings with the dog. But what they were doing was heavily reinforcing these sort of like lean in for a butt scratch behavior instead of like a sit or anything. And I think I was just like, oh my God, like, yes, of course. I was like, my dog likes to jump up, but his second most favorite thing is to lean in for a butt scratch. It's just such a 
path of least resistance. You're like, yeah, do the thing you already like to do. And we'll just make it, we'll make it more worthwhile so that maybe it climbs the ladder and ends up being the favorite thing over, over jumping, you know? And um, I kind of like thinking about it. I, I feel like I was just sort of riffing off what, what Sam was saying there, that there, um, sometimes we really don't need to teach like whatever this pre-prescribed sort of idea of what should happen in this situation is we look to the dog to see like, what would they like to do in this situation? Is there like a similar behavior that they also like doing that we, maybe we can just boost that one a little bit to replace the other one that's kind of inconvenient sometimes. Um, I'm a, but yeah, I'm like, I think it's so funny to see what dogs do tend to offer and how it sort of reflects their personality. I think it's a really like exciting idea for me. I've, I've never gotten over and, and I like sometimes do this with clients. I feel like sometimes it's, it's a little like more for the uh, more enthusiastic ones, but doing some of that uh, 101 things to do with a cup or what, or a box or whatever, because it's just so um, silly and fun and pointless, except that it's enjoyable. And that as you just kind of encourage and encourage and encourage the dog, they start just expressing themselves, right? And some end up being really, really pausy, you know, and some are very bitey, shaky and some are, you know, and you're like, oh, that, that's really like neat to see. And, and you almost don't know what your dog, what any given dog is going to start to opt to as you kind of continue to boost and boost the enthusiasm about this activity. And then all of a sudden they're like, this is how I express myself. And I love that a lot. I feel like there's sometimes a little like mystery behind it. And as you really just throw a lot of encouragement behind them, boost that enthusiasm, and they start to express themselves in ways that are so um, them, you know, and we're not trying to funnel them into like a thing that we think they should do. We're just setting the stage and encouraging them to have a great time. And then you start to see what, what, what shows up there. And I think it's a really beautiful thing and a little contrary to some of what we're talking about here, where we're, there's these kind of, pre sort of prescribed ideas of jumping up you should do a sit you know like pulling do a peel um and to just really kind of put the ball on the dog's court and encourage them and see what they kind of come up with and it's uh it's something that like really fills my heart with joy <laughs> well and i think like ultimately i think we can all agree that the overarching theme here is we are cultivating healthy and happy relationships with humans and dogs right? Like that is the overarching goal. No matter what we want to create more enjoyment and like connection and relationship building. And I think that there's so much value in the simplicity of that. And like, I love what you're saying, Don, with like, okay, here's a box. What can you do with it? Because I think we start to shift the narrative for the guardian to being curious about like, what does my dog care about? Like, what are they capable of? What would they choose in this moment? And I find that by celebrating who the dog is, right? Like that's something that I'm a grade A cheerleader, right? Like I show up, I'm like, look at your dog. Like they're kicking ass. And I think it starts to become contagious, right? Like I think most of the time people call us because there's something big that needs to be dealt with. And that can be really heavy and emotional for everyone involved. And we can shift to like, you know, Oh yeah, how dare the male person come to the front door? I know, the nerve, the nerve of that front person. Like, look at you, you're such a good guard dog. Obviously there's things we can do if we need to, but I think we're just kind of shifting the narrative and helping the guardian understand like, let's celebrate who your dog is, Mm -hmm. right? Like we don't really need to, sometimes we have to change a lot, but overarching, not really, right? Like we're not trying to change the dog. We're just trying to change a few things and keep everyone safe. But 
I love that, right? Like getting curious and celebrating who the dog is. And once we kind of have more of that, we have more of that working relationship. The, the guardian is feeling good. They're feeling like, oh my God, I didn't even know we could do that. That's so cool. Then that just like opens the way for us to get in with the like, okay, cool. So now we're going to do some behavior modification. No. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So I want to talk just a little bit more about um, y'all's experience with the human end of things. So I think that it might surprise a lot of you listening to know that um, I have seen some very interesting dynamics between couples, friends, roommates. And I think that's something that people maybe don't realize that dog trainers do and they deal with. Right. And it's, it's so much more than like, okay, cool. So I know about the dog. I also got to know who is in the house. What are their skills? What are they capable of? So um, I just want to kind of hear from you guys, like kind of your personal experience there and kind of navigating, like, especially when we're talking about like bitey dogs, like what that looks like for like couples or friends or roommates. So um, let's see here, Miranda, you want to speak to that first? Yeah. Oh gosh. It is, uh, it is always interesting to walk into something where, you know, the intake form, like, you know, all these things about the dog. And oftentimes you do not know a whole lot about the person. And then you find out that you are a marriage counselor and there's so much stuff going on. Someone, one of my trainers the other day was in a house where the guy like asked him to hold a shoe that the puppy was trying to bite while he took the puppy outside and then tried to do the dishes while the trainer was at his house. And, you know, we, we get into all kinds of Weird, weird things, but I think one of the things, and this is going to be my like very, very brief high horse as, as a positive reinforcement based dog trainer, I find it really interesting that we are so, we have moved our language when it comes to dogs so far to where we don't use commands. We talk about cues, right? We, we don't just talk about owners. We talk about guardians. Like we've moved a lot of our language but a phrase that you still hear trainers use a lot is client compliance. And it's just one of those things that always kind of like makes me twitch a little bit because we know how to change behavior. And we know that in order to change behavior, we have to control the environment. We have to find motivations. Like we have to find what reinforcers and punishers potentially exist in the environment and figure out how we can navigate what we're doing when it comes to the animals. But then so often it comes down to like, you know, I sent them my, my six page email and why didn't they do their homework? Right. But we realized that there's like a huge conflict happening because somebody's afraid of the dog and somebody doesn't want to participate because they've given up. And, you know, also grandma has mild dementia and is in the house. And also we have a baby and we're really stressed and sleep deprived. And so I think just like we don't, anymore as much look at dogs in terms of compliance, right? It's, it's the same thing with the humans where if we're not getting what we need from the humans, granted, humans have a lot more complex lives in a lot of ways. We cannot, you know, recommend that the humans take a different diet, right? Like, I mean, theoretically you could, I don't recommend it. Um, but I think, I think there is something to be said for the idea that trainers have kind of copped out when it comes to their, the human component and said like, oh, this person just isn't listening to me. And I think a lot of the time that's where I would say, well, you know, if the dog wasn't listening to you, you'd say, oh, well, you just haven't, you haven't found the right training tool that you haven't figured out the right environment. And I think a lot of that is the same for the people. Granted, there are absolutely people where sometimes you say, I can't, can't do it. I've done everything I can, but 
I think those cases are a lot more rare than we'd like to think. And that a lot of times we just need to do a better job being behavior people in order to figure out how to motivate people. And that is my soapbox issue. I apologize for it, but only sort of, uh, we have to, we have to take care of the humans and we have to take responsibility for, for their role in the training equation. Oh, 1,000%, 1,000%. Sam, do you want to go next? Yeah, I I think that's such a great point to start talking about how this behavior, uh, applied behavior analysis and everything that we do on a daily basis is is not just about our dogs. And for us to be having this empathy lens to really portray that out to to all our clients, which falls under an umbrella of, of human and dogs. So by doing this, I think this is somewhere, some ways helpful for, for trainers too. Maybe sometimes we just get so thick into the, the aspect of dog specific behaviors and, and training and management where we get sucked into that. And I, I feel like that's very normal for, for trainers to go through. And so it's really reasonable for them to, to fall into this dichotomy between um, uh, the dog side of, of training and the human side of training and uh humans and, and just in dogs like they we need they need potential management and, and training plans if they didn't we wouldn't even be here so i think this is where um just circling back to how can i use my expertise to to modify the environment for the success of the learner whether it's the human or the or the dog and um, a lot of our um, behavior intakes that, that comes in the form of customizing how to create those management pieces for those people and, and those dogs. And there, there's times there's going to be kids and there's going to be times that there's going to be elderly adults that can't train. And it's, it's up to us in terms of how we can modify or adjust environment in a certain way to s- set up the success we're looking for. So it's, it's not easy. And I think that's why it's, it's easier to, to go to the cop out of the, the human compliance aspect of it. So, yeah, I, I feel for the trainers and also for the people that are just trying to get along with just moving their lives forward. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't compliance such a dirty word? Like I don't like it at all. Oh my God. Obedience, compliance. Let's just burn yeah. those words. Let's just never hear those again. Let's never hear I think those it's again. so funny that it's still so much part of the conversation that I'm like, if we are so angered about the idea of giving a dog a command that, but then we're still like client compliance. I'm like, do there's a disconnect here. Like our language indicates how much we have moved towards the dog side, but not in the same human side. It's just, it's not, we don't mean it badly, but it just, it tells us where we're focusing our language changes. Yeah. Go ahead, Jenna. I was going to say, like, I'm pretty certain guardian compliance came out of my mouth in this conversation, but like, I mean, it just goes to show like, and it's like, I'm in full agreeance with you that it's like, oh my gosh, yes, it absolutely needs to drop out of my vocabulary, despite the fact that client, client is gone, owner is gone, like compliance was still there. And like, for me, I almost love that moment. I'm like, holy shit, that just came out of my mouth. <laughs> but she's like so right Miranda's so right um and I think even for me and I know this changed for you even Rachel on your podcast of like the changing of guardian being the language as opposed to owner and like I think it is one of those things that as we continue to be those examples for our clients we're going to see their language start to shift I know I gave up that okay well we call it a cue and not a command because of this I just say okay we're teaching the cue for this 
right? And then what do you know, a week down the line, two weeks down the line, we're like, oh my gosh, we're doing so well with this cue. Um, you know, but, and the other thing is through that, through hearing people talk about like, oh yeah, I really don't want to use that word. The next time it comes out of my mouth, I guarantee you, that'll be like the last time. Cause I'll be like, blah, 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 you know, like swallow it back down. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, no. What am I actually trying to say here? You know, <laughs> I think well, you got, you got to pass on compliance for pairing it with guardian. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, that totally counts. That totally counts. But, <laughs> and I, mean, so I want to just speak to my personal experience just a little bit. And then Don, if you want to pick, piggyback off of this, I think that the reason I have been really wildly successful, in addition to all of you being really successful in your careers is because I show up as an empathetic human being, right? I'm like, tell me what is going on, right? Because there is so many complexities to dogs who bite, especially dogs who bite people. And, you know, I think it's one of those that like sometimes some of those sessions are me just holding space for my client to be honest about what's happening. Right. And it's not about me sharing my expertise. It's not about dog training. It's not about research. It's just about holding space for a client who is struggling who is dealing with something that is really, really fucking hard, right? And I think that so many people don't even know that there's like reactive and aggressive dogs. Like people don't even know that's a thing, right? And then when you find yourself and you're in a situation where you thought you were getting the white picket fence with your dog and they're going to be perfect, then he's going to be fine. And then they physically harm someone you love, like, we owe it. We owe it to those clients just to empathetically hold space for them. Because I think that when an owner or a guardian can feel heard and understood, then we open up the possibilities of like, are you ready for this? Let's try some behavior modification. But I find that sometimes like my clients just need to cry. They just need to have a good old fashioned cry and be honest about what's going on because it's isolating, right? Like the bitey dogs, the aggressive dogs, it is such an isolating place to be in. And we owe it to them. We owe it to them to be that one safe place who understands what's happening and can help and guide. Right. But yeah, I think that like the owner shaming is just so rampant in the dog training industry at large. And I'm so grateful for all of you being here right now. Cause I know you, none of you are doing that. Um, yeah. Don, do you want to piggyback off that? Sure. Yeah. I, I am recently came, I've, I've been having a big uh, social media crush on this woman in Sweden who went from working with kids, but has been a dog trainer kind of concurrently. I, I feel like she's not, anyway, she was, she brought up, um, something that maybe you guys would be interested in if you haven't already heard of it, but it was something called the low arousal approach, which felt like uh, it was for, you know, working with uh, kids where they're like, hey, it can kind of be any sort of thing. But what we're going to try to do is recognize what is uh, arousing and, and, and that typically like kids who bite, spit, scratch and whatever are not going to do those things if we are approaching things with a low arousal um, sort of idea. And she said some things that really just uh, it's, it's just been a bit of an, an inspiration. And, and I think it's helped me to really reframe things for um for some clients and I want to make sure I'm staying to your point where there is this huge emotional quality and these situations are often so challenging um and and often I feel like you know they've been dealing with it for a while but it takes sort of a catalyst event before they're like picking up the phone type thing and so you're kind of catching them at a oh yeah at a, at a point at a, at a crux that's like kind of intense and that a lot of what they need is to be like 
heard and to be like known that they can be sort of supported and that we can talk about the options. And it's a very therapy kind of uh, social worky sort of sort of position that I think we take if we're if we're really doing our our very best to help these people then kind of recover from that and start to sort of employ some new some new tactics. Um, but what I, what I really liked about the low arousal approach is it sort of paired with my like continuing to move towards um you know if we think about um the humane hierarchy and 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 I think we're like oh yeah well like R plus let's do it but it's like antecedent arrangement first and if we can really like emphasize management and I think that sometimes pairs a lot with adjusting expectations too where you can say like look you like you just don't need to go to that park you know your dog's gotten a couple of conflicts there like you can you can go over here like we can talk about decompression walks like we can do just more of what the dog likes and less of what they don't like and we don't necessarily need to intervene with with um with behavior modification we can just we can just modify the behavior by like going to the cool places and skipping the shitty places and and then that can be your that can be your whole solution right um and so i think sometimes even we're like oh yeah like lima humane hierarchy um, but still get a little pigeonholed in, in in trying to change behaviors, which is still a bit invasive when the easier solution is sometimes to switch. And, and I think sometimes with clients that are in that really challenging position, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, if you got like, a, if you got kids in the scene, you got a little baby brain going on or whatever, it's like, you know what, like, you know what you can also do is you can just double down on some like enrichment things where your dog is just going to keep busy and you're just going to take a nap. You can go for a walk over here. Like you can really just simplify your life and stop trying to fit this kind of round peg into a square hole sort of thing. And I think that that, that is sometimes the easiest, the most humane, the most effective, the least effortful sort of solution to some of these, these issues. And I think when this person I was speaking of was uh, talking about this low arousal approach, it kind of paired with that as well as to say, look, like we can just start, like we can take a big step back and start here and just say, like, we're just going to go to the cool spots. We're going to just do the good stuff. We're just going to cut out and remove the challenging situations. And we're going to modify that behavior by just never providing the, the like the, the, the circumstances where it's relevant. Um, and I think that, that's maybe also back to what a previous question about the sort of the arc of like baby trainer to like where we are now is I think just that okayness with like, we don't actually need to intervene in this sort of way. We can just shift our destinations and, and, and get some nice, happy, easygoing results. And I think that that's what makes us all really effective trainers is that we're empathetic, we're creative, and we are not ashamed to take shortcuts that are in everyone's best interest, right? Like done and done. Like, oh, a baby gate is the solution? Cool. Yeah, let's just move on with our lives, right? Oh my God. Everyone, thank you so much for being with us today. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. So before we wrap up, I just, can everyone just share just really quickly, like your Instagram handle website so people can find you? Jenna, go first. Uh, Sure. I am napping with dogs on Instagram. You can also find Instinct's Instagram. It's Instinct Nashville. Um, And then you can look us up, instinctdogtraining.com. And we have several locations across the U.S. Amazing. Okay. San, tell everybody how they can find you. You can find me on Instagram at Rough Roll Academy, and there's links to scheduling with me in my bio, and that's the best place to get in contact with me. Amazing. Miranda? I'm at www.everydogaustin.org because we're a nonprofit, and on Instagram and Facebook at Everydog Austin. Dawn, tell everybody. 
I want to know so much more about this nonprofit. Um, uh, runningdogs.ca is a little Canadian outlier. Um, I also have a little uh, sort of charitable effort as well. Give your dog a raise.com, um, where we're at, sort of paired now with two different sort of local Toronto based rescues that are doing really fantastic work. And I've got a bit of uh, apparel that I'm selling with kind of a neat logo. There's two different logos now, one for one rescue, one for the other. Um, so if you want to check that out as well, I'm um, also running dogs. T O is my uh, Instagram handle. Uh, if you wanted to uh, check me out there. Uh, yeah okay. amazing okay everyone I feel like we only touched the surface so everyone listening we're probably going to come back for a part two so let's be honest some dogs just need an opportunity to run around off leash so that it's easier to live with them the only caveat to that is that not all dogs are trustworthy off leash that is why I created my 21 day recall training program trustworthy recalls I give you the exact framework that I use to get Wayland's recall to almost 100% reliability as an added bonus in trustworthy recalls we've also just added a whistle recall training plan so whether you need to train a verbal cue or a whistle recall we got you in our 21 day training program trustworthy recalls link to that is in the show notes thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoyed the show if you need help with your dog's behavior you can learn more about our training services at a goodfeelingdogtraining.com we post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the instagram at a goodfeeling underscore nco If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.